Well, a few weeks ago, uh, Tim Van Dalen wrapped up our, first, our series in the book of 1 Timothy, um, entitled Building Plans, with a challenge for us this summer. And that challenge for us this summer was uh, to look for opportunities uh, for us to be generous. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 ends with this challenge to um, be rich in good works. And for those that God is blessed to be generous. And before we talk about this, I just want to say thank you to our church for their incredible generosity this past year. Uh, we're wrapping up our fiscal year actually this weekend, and we've never had a year like this in 25 years. And so we'll talk more about that, tell you some of the more the, the actual dollars and cents here in a few weeks as we wrap up uh, some bookkeeping items. But we have been incredibly, incredibly generous over this past year. And uh, and so as we wrapped up this year, we realized we could just wrap up the year and say, well, that was nice, that was good, and let's kind of move on. But as we looked at the scriptures, we really felt challenged by that and said, God, what is it that you're, you're giving us a nudge towards? What is it that you're stirring in our hearts to move towards? And so um, Tim challenged us with opportunities to give in, in two areas, and we've added a third. And the one for this month, the month of June, is the ministry that we're partnering with in Haiti and um, the church there. And we'll have a video that's coming out this week that'll tell you a little bit more details. And if you'd like to contribute to that, uh, you can just designate that on your check or online, and all the, those contributions that come in for the month of June will go towards Haiti. And then the month of July, which is just around the corner, is going to the Denver House Project, and I've invited my friend Rod Redkay to share with you a little bit about that project. Um, and so uh, Rod is the Executive Director of Real Life Community Services, uh, which serves the Cocalico School District, and so uh, Rod uh, found himself in the midst of a challenge that was bigger than he is, um, and he's a big guy, and, uh, um, and I invited him to come and share with us a little bit more about that. So to get us started, Rod, uh, for, those of you, for those in our group that might not be from the Cocalico area or might not know about the Denver House, tell us a little bit uh, about the Denver House. Sure. Uh, first off, I want to uh, thank you for inviting me here this morning. It's just an honor uh, to be here with this church, and uh, you are a generous church. It's, uh, there's no doubt about it, and we uh, had the opportunity to receive some uh, donations from you, and we really do appreciate that, and I, I'm just blessed uh, to be here with your family, and uh, this two-service thing is really cool, too, because we could practice the first time, and you guys <laughs> get a really good, solid, uh, solid good uh, feel here this Don't morning. Don't say that in the first service. Right? I know, right. I didn't. I didn't, but it's good. <laughs> so you guys are, you understand. The, the Denver House, uh, if, you, if you don't know much about Denver, downtown Denver, uh, was built in 1863, and it uh, be, was the hallmark uh, of the community. In fact, it was before Denver became Denver. It was back when it was the, uh, the, the town was called Union Station, mm -hmm. and that was the Union Station House. And then uh, in 1900, Denver became Denver, and it became the, the Denver House. And uh, what it was is a hotel bar that uh, serviced the, um, the, the passenger train that would go by uh, Denver. And uh, back in those days, there was no car, so people would ride the passenger train and they would stop here in Denver, uh, mm -hmm. like other communities, and, and they would have a place to stay for the night. And uh, obviously, when the invention of the car and, and things uh, actually kind of evolved, uh, there was no need to have a train station there anymore mm -hmm. where, where people would stay. Uh, so it basically became a, a boarding house. It's a 22-unit uh, hotel bar that uh, uh, now was a... Uh, a boarding house where uh, 20 of those units, 10 by 10, 10 by 8 rooms, shared three bathrooms. Mm. And uh, they, over the years, obviously, to, to get clientele, they, the price uh, of uh, the cost of a room was $75 a week. Uh, mm. So you can imagine uh, the type of people that just um, took advantage of that. And, and unfortunately, mm. uh, the ownership had, uh, had evolved and these, these past owners in the last 10 years, uh, 12 years, um, really, were, they were an investment group. Their whole idea was to get money, and uh, they be basically stopped uh, caring for the property. Mm -hmm. and back in 2013, they stopped paying the mortgage, they stopped paying the ta back taxes, mm -hmm. and they stopped uh, paying any utilities wow. or upkeep of the property. So it quickly uh, it became into a blighted uh, area in the community and uh, code violations and liquor law infractions and, and the mm. such. So oh. it's, uh, it really, uh, over the last uh, number of years, has just really uh, spiraled downward into becoming a, a major blight in our community. So your organization is committed to providing social services in our community. So tell us how your organization got connected with the Denver House. 
Good. So um, trying to do the Reader's Digest version for you this morning, but uh, we acquired the property across the street back in 2014 at Denver Bible Church, and uh, it's a uh, church in Parsonage, and we converted the church building into a youth center, and the Parsonage we converted into a transitional home for moms who are coming out of the Good Samaritan shelter in Ephrata. Mm-hmm. And so when we opened that up, October 2014, word in the street was, Rod, you're, you're a great man, you're doing great things, but who in the right mind would drop their kids off at the Lighthouse Youth Center uh, to uh, right across the street from the, from the Denver house? And uh, it got to thinking. And, and in fact, a friend of mine uh, came up to me one day. He said, Rod, what's up with that building next to the Turkey Hill? I said, the Denver house? He says, yeah, every time I stop in for a cup of coffee, I smell marijuana coming from that place. And I don't know what marijuana smells like, honestly, but he did. Uh, he was a missionary in Jamaica, so he knew that. Um, and good man, good man. And he, uh, he, he encouraged me, he challenged me, he said, God wants to do something with that place. And, uh, mm. and why don't you get some, some prayer warriors together and start praying for that property. And so in January of 2015, we did just that. We, we, we assembled a group of people, got together at the Lighthouse Youth Center across the street where we were at. And we start praying uh, for the Denver House, praying for God's blessings over that place, praying for God's presence there uh, in that place. Mm-hmm. And two months later, the bar closed. And a uh, series of events, but I, I contacted the owner and said, hey, what happened? And he's like, look, he said, there's uh, mismanagement. The manager doesn't know how to run things. Uh, there's uh, liquor law infractions. I just got out of a, a meeting with a state trooper uh, for two hours reading me the riot act. He says, I'm done. I'm not renewing the license. As long as I'm in the building, it'll never be a bar again. I said, two months. If we just would have started earlier, it could have been <laughs> done. But there was God's timing. And so we, we just said, okay, so what's happening? Would you be willing to sell the property? He says, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, unbeknownst to us, it was already in uh, early stages of foreclosure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a year and a half uh, process, <laughs> uh, we connected with an organization called LHOP, Lancaster Housing Opportunity Partnership. Uh, which is in the county, and their purpose, one of their purposes is to help nonprofits like us acquire buildings like this to be affordable long-term housing uh, for families in need in the community. And uh, a big hot button in the county is housing and uh, affordable housing, and this is a perfect opportunity for them in our community. And uh, so in the process, about a year and a half process, working with the bank, uh, we took ownership right before uh, the uh, sheriff sale. And uh, we're able to uh, acquire that property in October of last year. And uh, then the cleanup uh, had to start because it was a turnkey operation, hotel bar, just what we wanted. Um, and so <laughs> we, it had all the, I mean, the refrigerators were still running. Uh, the, the freezers were there. Um, the rooms still had everything uh, that were in them. Uh, every room had a box spring, a mattress, a mm-hmm. chest of drawers, a uh, room air conditioner, a uh, old uh, tube television, if you remember what they were, and a window air conditioner. And uh, there are 20 of those units uh, like that, shared three bathrooms. It was just, um, wow. I can't explain to you in words the deplorable living conditions that they mm-hmm. were under, but we had the opportunity uh, that we helped um, uh, help those last remaining uh, people there get out of that place. Uh, we had them meet with social workers and, and, and gave them opportunities mm-hmm. to uh, to get relocated. Uh, and then we took ownership of it. And then the uh, the cleanup began uh, for the next five months. Uh, we uh, had over 200, almost 250 volunteers uh, give almost 2,000 hours of their time and and uh, to remove get this 26 containers full. Of garbage. Those and are the debris. big red, the big red ones. Right? Those the big, the 30-yard ones, the yeah. eight feet high, you know, yeah. 20 feet long, uh, containers full, uh, and we totally gutted that place. Mm. And uh, it was my intention mm. for it never to be that again. Mm. And we have a vision and a, and a plan for this place. God gave us uh, a downloaded uh, vision in, in my mind to create a um, uh, the Declaration House, which is mm. that picture right there. Uh, we presented to our architect, said, we, we have this picture of what it was 100 years ago. Can you, can you duplicate that? Can you bring some of that history sure. back? Yeah. And this is what they came up with. And we're going to provide 10 uh, long-term uh, affordable apartments uh, that all have a kitchen, they all have their own bathroom, and their own bedroom or two. And um, that's going to be managed well. And it's a long-term housing, not transient, not shelter but long-term housing for okay. families uh, that they can afford 
We're going to have our social service office in there with our social worker who hired, we hired back in October part-time. She'll be full-time by then uh, mm -hmm. and meeting with families in our community, getting them the resources, being that hub of resources mm -hmm. to our community. And we have also are partnering with Walsh Mountain Health Centers, which is really exciting, who are, uh, provide affordable health care, dental care, and behavioral health counseling, mm -hmm. uh, again, for our families in our community. And uh, there will also be about 1,500 square feet of retail space in the front. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't share with you, but we are in some talks <coughs> with some really great retailers that's going to bring some life back to our community again. So we know a little bit about renovation. So you're entering that process. You've got the place gutted now. And uh, I now... I say you guys did a fantastic job here with this church building. It was unbelievable. You guys, hats off to you and your, and your congregation here. Thanks, Rod. And we know a little bit about this journey because it was three years ago when we were sitting here having conversations. Actually, I wasn't. Everybody else was. But having conversations about whether or not we were going to buy this property and then the years of renovation that went in. So we understand a little bit of that journey. We walked down a little bit of that road. So, um, so we have some knowledge and understanding of the process. But uh, how can we pray for you and how can we encourage you and the team that's engaged in this process moving forward? Well, I do appreciate that, John. And, um, you know, the, the cleanup task is pretty well done. It's now uh, moving into the construction uh, phase. Uh, we're hoping to start later on this year, but it all comes down to financing. Uh, this is a two million plus uh, project. Hmm. Uh, and we, I, 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 the money tree just ran out. Um, <laughs> You know, I don't know if any of you guys had one, but <laughs> mine, mine ran out. Um, no, seriously, it, it, we have a, a Herculean task mm -hmm. uh, ahead of mm -hmm. us. And uh, God has given us some great people and connected us with the right people, the mm -hmm. right team to see this happen. We hired mm -hmm. a uh, campaign consultant. We hired a director of development. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have all the tools in place, mm -hmm. uh, but we just need um, the so good community support. Mm -hmm. We know the community is behind this. Uh, mm -hmm. We know... Uh, Denver Borough uh, donated uh, or gave us a, uh, a grant, a $35,000 grant uh, to acquire the property. It was quickly matched by a businessman in Ephrata mm -hmm. uh, so that we were able to get the property now. And uh, that gave us a shot in the arm that we needed mm -hmm. uh, to get, th get the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. uh, but now is the process of, of fundraising and getting that money. Uh, they, the, the powers that be said we're going to need at least uh, seven, 60, 70 percent of the money raised before we break ground okay. uh, and move on. So I'm praying for a miracle that that will happen before the end of the year. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know that God has uh, owns a cattle on thousand hills, and I know that there's opportunities there. So we're obviously in the process of, of, of forming our capital campaign steering committee, uh, meeting with uh, larger donors and, and looking for opportunities there. Uh, and then we're going to open it up when, um, uh, for the public part of the campaign okay. later this year. And that's where we're going to get really involved. And everyone's going to know where we're at and what we're doing. Okay. That's great, Rod. You know, um, we've, we recognize what God is doing there. And, you know, our church is committed to finding ways to support uh, the ministry there. Some of you may recall a couple years ago, we sold our office building, which was uh, used to be known as the chapel down in Five Pointville. We set aside $5,000 from the sale of that, so we wanted to bless a ministry that was going to be making a difference in the lives of people. And our elders recently said, let's redirect that money and let's direct that money towards uh, real life community services and the work that they're doing. Um, because they're not just helping people in need, but there's a faith-based component to the work that they are doing. And they're using these opportunities to meet the, the needs of people in our community so that they can show God's love to them so they have an opportunity to share God's love with them. So would you join me in just taking a moment and praying with me for Rod and for the ministry there at Real Life? <clears throat> God, I thank you for the work that Rod is doing. And uh, Lord, you know about this project. You know all the details and logistics that are going on. And, and you know what the, how it's going to happen. Um, we've watched you do that here over the last three years. We watched you raise resources here over the last three years. We watched you provide the right contractors and, and discounts from others and, and generous uh, contributions of, of time and labor. Um, and Lord, we know you're going to do that exact same thing uh, for the Denver House. Father, we pray that this is a place where men and women who don't think there is any hope, that they get a glimpse of hope. They get a glimpse of people who love them and care about them, and that in the process they get a glimpse of Jesus and they have an opportunity to share Jesus with them as well. So, Lord, we know this, is a, this seems like a huge challenge uh, in front of Rod and his team, but we know that they're 
Um, their faith is strong. We pray that we can come alongside them, pray for them, support them, encourage them, uh, assist them financially um, in whatever way you prompt us to do that. So, um, God, we just ask that um, we get an opportunity to watch you do amazing things. Um, in your name we pray. Amen. Would you thank Rod for sharing with us this morning? Thanks, Rod. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, buddy. Yep, thanks. <clears throat> So if you want to give to our summer of generosity, the end of this month, a couple more days, that's to the ministry in Haiti, and then we'll flip gears, or we'll shift gears to the next ministry that we're going to do for the month of July, and that'll be to the to Denver House Project, and uh, we'll send you guys some more information over the next few weeks. Um, if you're not, uh, if you don't get our weekly email uh, entitled Slice of Life, uh, just check that on the back of your response card. And it'll be in a, that's a way for you to get communication that comes out during the week, even when you're away on vacation, things that are happening here at CCC. Well, my family and I, we had a great time uh, being away on vacation for the last 10 days. We spent some time sightseeing down in Florida and some time relaxing down there, enjoying some uh, warm, steamy weather uh, down in the Sunshine State. But prior to being down in Florida, we were, um, my son graduated from high school, and so we had a lot of family members in for the graduation event. And um, while, we, while our family was here, shortly after graduation, my father-in-law came home one morning. He often goes out in the morning and gets coffee, and uh, one of his favorite places is a, a Courtyard Cafe there in Denver, and that's one of the places he likes to go and get coffee. And so he came back from there a little distressed because he had misplaced one of his hearing aids. And um, it wasn't so critical because he could still hear some, not, not fully, not completely well as he normally did without that hearing aid. But it was, what was stressful was these things are very expensive. And if you know anything about hearing aids, they're not cheap. They're to the tune of about $2,500 for one of them. And if you lose one and to try to get a pair and make them work could be very, very expensive. So he proceeded to retrace his steps, went down to the restaurant, asked them there, checked in the car, checked every place he had been, but, you know, asked my brother-in-law and I if we could stop by and check again, which we stopped in and checked a little bit later. They were nowhere in sight, and he was starting to face the painful reality that it was gone, and he was going to have to, when he got home, fork out the money to replace this. And um, in the process, there was something unfolding behind the scenes that completely shocked me and shocked all of us. There was a surprising solution that was going to come about. What we did not know is that when he was at the restaurant, he had misplaced it while he was there. He had somehow inadvertently knocked it or set it on the table, knocked it off the table. It had fallen to the floor. Someone had seen it and handed it into the clerk or handed it into the at the counter um, shortly after he had left. Um, the person at the counter didn't realize what it was, didn't know whose it was, and so even though my father-in-law came back and asked about it later, they didn't realize what it was. It was sitting right there. Um, my brother-in-law and I, we stopped in and asked. It was sitting right there behind the counter. They didn't know what it was and didn't say anything to it. A few days later, uh, one of the uh, individuals who works at the restaurant came in and saw it sitting there and said, what is this? They said, it's a hearing aid. We found the like, you realize how expensive that is. She knew how she had helped her grandfather with those. She didn't... She, the, um, she said, they said, no, we don't know how expensive it is. And she said, it's very expensive. We have to find the owner. How are we going to find the owner? We don't know whose it is. You know, what do we do with it? Well, they, they decided, let's try to find a way to use social media to find the owner. You know, and that makes perfect sense because my 78-year-old father-in-law checks his Instagram feed daily, you know, <laughs> multiple times throughout the day. So why not put it on social media, you know? But fortunately for him, his 26-year-old granddaughter does check her Instagram feed and is, you know, does follow the restaurant on Instagram. And so she saw it, recognized it right away, realized what it was. We went down and retrieved it, and he drove back down from Northeast PA to pick it up, much with an overwhelming sense of relief that he had saved this amount of money, something that he thought was lost was now found. And uh, what a surprising solution to a dilemma that we had run into. Surprising solution. I don't know about you, but um, I, I love when I'm watching a movie and I don't have any idea how the movie's going to end. And somehow the solution to the movie gets resolved in a way I never imagined happening. I love when I'm trying to solve a problem or fix something and I don't have any idea how to do this, how to solve this problem, how to fix this thing that's broken. And I talk to someone who either is really good at it or is just very creative and they say, have you thought about this? And I'm like, I never even thought about that before. That's an unbelievable solution for that problem. Or how about when God does that? 
You know, when I'm interacting with a person, when I'm talking with a couple, when I'm navigating something with the family and they're telling me something that's going on, they're like, I don't know where we're going to go or what we're going to do or where to turn to, how God's going to solve this. And they call me with incredible excitement a day or two, a week, a month later, and they say, you're never going to believe what God did. And I said, tell me, tell me. Because God has this amazing way of coming up with surprising solutions to the challenges that we face. And this morning, as we continue our series entitled Never Forget, um, we're going to see a surprising solution that God has for a problem that the Israelites found themselves in. If you haven't been here with us this summer, uh, our series for the summer is entitled Never Forget. And we're looking at the book of Judges, a series of stories that God recorded and provided for us to have for the people of Israel and for us today so that we would not forget some things that these people learned about God. Sadly, they forgot them. They forgot them. And so we want to walk back into it as we move into this new season in the life of our church and the future of our church as God has provided for us in amazing ways, just like he did for the people of Israel. We don't want to forget the lessons that God walked us through before. And so if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Judges chapter 4, that's where we're going to be this morning, Judges chapter 4. Um, you can turn there on your tablet or, or uh, portable device as well and follow along as well. In the book of Judges, there's a circle that we keep talking about. There's this circle. And it's almost like you hit rewind and then repeat, rewind and then repeat. And every week we see these events happen where the people rebel. God is angry. There's oppression by enemies. The people cry out sometimes, not all the time. God delivers them through a judge. There's peace. The judge dies, and then the cycle repeats itself over and over and over again. So the question is, what's that cycle going to look like this week? Well, Jeremy did a great job last week introducing us to the first two judges, Othniel and Ehud, and he walked through those judges and showed us some of the ways that God showed up in the lives of the people of Israel during that time, how God raised up these men and used these men who may not have been qualified, may not have felt they could have made a difference, but God chose to use them. And so this week, we're going to start a story, uh, the story of a woman by the name of Deborah, but we're actually going to be in this story for two weeks, because the first week, I'm going to tackle it and look at it from a historical perspective, and the next week, Tim Nice is going, to re- is going to step back on the stage again, and he's going to look at it from a poetic perspective. And so we're going to see this story through two different lenses this week and next week. If you're there in the book of Judges, if you have the, um, the Bibles in your seats, it's page 192. What we're going to see is God will find a way to use anyone who is willing. God will find a way to use anyone who is willing. So there in Judges chapter 1, if you, or excuse me, Judges chapter 4 verse 1, um, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord now that Ehud was dead. The priest, or the, excuse me, the judge had died. Ehud was the judge and he had died. And so the people of Israel, they walked away from God. They did what was evil. So what did God do? He sold them in the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Hashareth Hagoim. And so what God did is he said to the people of Israel, because you're not going to listen to me and pay attention to me, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to walk away. I'm going to walk away. Someone asked me after the first service, what did God get when he sold them? I said, I don't really know what God got, but God got when he sold them. But um, it's often a term God uses when he steps away and lets someone experience the consequence of their choices. God uses this phrase. And if you know anything about um, raising a family, or if you know anything about training a new employee, you know what this experience is like, where you might give them some instruction, you might give them some direction, but at some point you've got to take your hands off, and you just got to let the consequences come to bear with their choices and decisions. And that's what's taking place here um, in this case. And so they found themselves under the iron rule of Jabin. And it goes on to describe it in the next verse. It says, Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now describes Sisera and his army. He said 900 chariots fitted with iron. You say, what? What's the big deal about being fitted with iron? These chariots were like the smart bombs or the drones of that day. Um, One writer described it this way. They said, chariots against ground troops was like taking a a knife, heating it up, and then slicing it through a stick of butter. 
You know, when these guys were on chariots and these troops were on the ground, it was like a killing platform. They stood no chance, no chance against them. These were not wooden chariots that they could break or cry. These were chariots that were coated and fitted with iron. They had nothing to defeat them. Nothing to defeat them. And so for 20 years, he didn't just oppress them. He didn't just make their life miserable. He was cruel. And you're going to hear more about that from Tim next week. He was cruel. That's what Sisera was like. And so what happened? It says they cried out to God. They said, God, can you help us? God, can you help us? Now, this is what God did as he answered their cry. He said, now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lipideth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramahand, Bethel, in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have her disputes decided. Talk about a surprising solution. There's a woman who's leading Israel at that time. Now, that's just unheard of unheard of. It's hard for us to wrap our minds about how out of the ordinary that is. How out of the ordinary that is. To have a woman in this role. But this is a male-dominated society, a male-dominated culture. Women were not looked to. Women were not respected. Women's word were not valued. Their primary responsibility was to marry and give birth to children and stay at home and be quiet and do that. That's what their role was in that culture. But God chose to use a woman not only as a prophet. Prophet was a spokesperson for God. God would speak, the prophet would hear it because they didn't have anything written. But she also was leading Israel at that time. So she was a spokesperson for God. She was leading Israel at that time. And she also was solving conflicts between the Israelites. That's what she was doing. She didn't lead by force. These guys that Jeremy talked about last week, they were military leaders. They'd led the troops. But that wasn't God's plan this time. He invited a woman into this stage, into this role. She led by her wisdom and character. And so God spoke to her, and so she then spoke to this individual by the name of Barak, son of Abinamphram, Kadesh, in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. Now, we don't know how she knew Barak. We had no idea. Who's Barak? How she know Barak? We don't really know. But she gets a hold of him and says, God says, get some guys from your neighborhood. He lived in Naphtali. Get some guys from Naphtali and Zebulun, the neighboring city. And he said, I need you to get 10,000 men. I want you to go to battle. And so what do you think Barak responded to this? How do you think Barak responded? Do you think Barak responded... Wow, I can't believe it. it's the opportunity I've been waiting for. It's finally my chance. I've been sitting on the sidelines. I've been on the JV, and now it's time for me to be on the starting line, you know, on the starting team. It's finally my chance to step up. Is that what Barak said? I was chomping at the bit for this assignment. No, what did Barak say? Um, this is the rest of what God said. I'll lead Sisera and give him into your hands. And so Barak said to her, Oh, if you go, I'll go. But if you don't go, I'm not going. Doesn't sound like a commander ready to lead the troops, does it? If you go, I'll go. But if you don't go, I'm not going to go. I mean, you could have almost imagined him maybe asking for some more troops. Maybe said, is there any money in the budget to get me one of the, a couple of those iron chariots? You know, He could have asked for all kinds of other things, but he says, well, if you don't go, I'm not going to go. And you can't decide, is this guy a wimp or just someone who has no faith? You know, what is he? What is he? Why does he ask her to go? Why does he ask her to go? Not to demean her at all, but I mean, we're going into fierce battle against a guy that hasn't lost in 20 years. I mean, did she provide some type of kind of magical power? You know, was she, you know, like a special necklace that he would wear? I mean, what was it about her? But note her response in verse 9. She says, of course, I'll go with you. It's a little surprising, but she says, of course I'll go. But then look what she says. But because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera, oops, I'm sorry, the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. 
Notice what happens. Because of his unwillingness to step up, because of his unwillingness to do what God calls him to do, he says, I'm going to place this honor in the hands of a woman. Now, based on what you know about the story, what woman would you assume would the honor be given to? What do you think? Take a guess. Deborah, right? Deborah would be the woman you assume the honor would be given to. But she went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak actually did what he was asked to do by God. He got 10,000 guys together from Zebulun and Naphtali. Deborah went up with him. And then we kind of had this really weird statement. We don't really know what it means, but Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim near Kadesh. Like, what does that have to do with the story? Did somebody miss, make a mistake and just put the, something in the wrong spot? Well, don't forget about that. We'll come back to that a little bit later. So when the word got out to Sisera in verse 12 that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, what do you think Sisera did? Sisera got the troops ready. He summoned them all to the Kishon River, all 900 chariots fitted with iron. He said, guys, let's go. We're ready to do battle. He said, I haven't lost in 20 years. Let's make it 21. Let's get this thing, let's make this happen. And then Deborah says this to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Now, after Barak's first round of, I'll go if you go, but if you're not going to go, I'm not going to go, what do, you, what do you expect Barak to do at this point? You almost expect Barak to turn to her and say, so, are you going? That's almost what you expect him to do, right? Because he doesn't demonstrate a lot of confidence. He certainly went and gathered the troops up, but he doesn't demonstrate a lot of confidence in who? In the Lord. In the Lord. But something changes here. Something changes because Barak does exactly what God tells him to do. He went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Now, who defeated Sisera? Was it Barak who defeated Sisera? Yes or no? No. Was it Deborah who defeated Sisera? Yes or no? No. It was who? It's the Lord who defeated Sisera. You know, this is part of what we're going to talk about a little bit later, but I want to just pause for a moment because so often when God calls us to do something, when God gives us a nudge, when God says, I want you to take a step of faith, we're like, oh, I'm not sure if I can do that. I'll do that if you'll do that. You know, are you going to go? What do you think? Do you have a plan? Do you have the money? Have you got this all figured out? And all Barak had was the word of the Lord to go and do it. That's all he had. That's all he had. And because he took a step of faith, God showed up in Barak's life. I can't tell you how many people just say to me, John, I just wish God would show up in my life. I just wish, he, I, I just wish I, some way for me to know that he's real. And you want to know the way that God shows up in our lives? He shows up in our lives when we take a step of faith, when we follow God's prompting and God's leading, when it doesn't always make sense, when there isn't a clear plan, when I don't have all the details worked out, then God shows up. Just like he did in Barak's life. And he does what seems to be impossible impossible it hadn't happened for 20 years and god did the impossible so sisera gets down from his chariot takes off Barak pursues the other chariots as far as harasheth hagoim and all the troops fell not a man went. they wiped them out completely overwhelming victory overwhelming victory Sisera, meanwhile, is on the run. So what's going to happen to this general who's been cruelly oppressing the people of Israel for 20 years now? He fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber. Oh, there's that guy that we read about in verse 11, the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber, the Kenite. So what had happened? 
Well, what had happened, if you go back to verse 11, is this um, Jael and her family, um, Heber, they had left the Kenites where they lived. And for some reason, we don't know why, we don't know there's a political alliance, whether there's a military alliance, whether it was a, an agricultural or financial benefit, they left where they were living and they came and they were living where these other where the other Canaanites were, and they had formed some kind of alliance, an agreement. We're in this together. And so Sisera's running from Barak, and he comes across the tent of Jael and Heber. He said, oh, a safe place. Maybe I can hide. And so he comes to the tent, and Jael once goes out to meet Sisera and said, come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered, and she covered him with a blanket. She was hospitable, which is to be expected in that day. She was welcoming. She was honoring. She said, my Lord. She said, come right in. She was protective. Don't be afraid. And she covers him. And she goes on in the next verse to provide exactly what he needs. I'm thirsty. Please give me some water. She opened up a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him up so he was feeling safe and secure. And then he says to her, he says, stand in the door. If someone comes by, anybody see me? Nope, haven't seen him. Maybe he went that way. Send him on his way. Sounds like a great plan for Sisera to get out alive. So what does Jael do? She picked up a ten peg and a hammer, went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. That sounds like a scene right out of Criminal Minds, doesn't it? I mean, what in the world? You wouldn't want to go to have dinner at that woman's house, would you? I mean, she takes care of all of his needs. She welcomes him in. She covers him up. She gets him some warm milk, you know. And then, wham! Lights out. Lights out. You're like, what in the world? Who is she? How did she get this job? Did God tell her to do that? You know, is there some, did I miss a, did I miss a word to John? Did you skip something there? You know, what in the world is going on? Crazy, crazy story. So Baal shows up, or excuse me, Barak shows up in pursuit of Sisera and Jael goes out to meet him. Come, I'm going to show you the guy you're looking for. So they went in and there he was with the tent peg through his, tent, through his temple dead. Hey, come on in, see what I have in here, you know. Take a look who I met today, you know. I'm sure Barrick's like, okay, I've seen enough. I'm going, you know, I'm going. Wow. Wow. Remember the, remember the prophecy that someone was going to receive the honor instead of Barrick? It wasn't Deborah, was it? It was Jael. It was Jael. Crazy, crazy story. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of, the Can king of Canaan, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. You know, and as we look at this story with a surprising ending, not one that we would have expected at all, there's a lot of questions that kind of push up in this story. And some will answer and some we won't. But I think the one thing that stands out to me in the midst of this story is that God will find a way to use anyone who is willing. God will find a way to use anyone who is willing. And as I thought about the characters in the story, I thought first of all about Deborah. Um, you know, here's a woman in a male-dominant society, a woman who is given this opportunity to speak for God to the leadership of the Israelite community. Um, why did God choose her? We don't really know. Why did God choose a woman, Deborah, versus a man? We don't know. As I thought about this, the only thing that was comparable that came to my mind was the story of, of Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was approached by an angel and told, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And Mary had a few questions, but then Mary ended with this statement. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May the Lord's word be fulfilled, or whatever God wants me to do, I am willing. I got to believe Deborah had some questions. God, why are you picking me? Why, aren't there any, isn't there anybody else qualified? There's got to be some guys. What about that guy? What about, I'm sure she had some, why me? You really, you want me to do this? What are people going to think? How are they going to respond? What do I do with the backlash? Likely Deborah was married. 
What about my own husband? Can't he be God's voice? Why me? God says, no, I want you. I want you. And God said, if you say yes, I'll use you. I'll use you. How about Barak? How about Barak? He certainly was unwilling, wasn't he? He said, I'm not doing it unless you're doing it. If you're not doing it, I'm not doing it. Um, he seemed very unsure of himself uh, in those moments of uncertainty. And we all had those times, those moments of uncertainty where we're like, I don't know if I will, I don't know if I should. I mean, I had one of those moments on vacation when uh, one of the things that we did is we were in Orlando, so we, we went to Universal Studios and went to Islands of Adventure. And, uh, you know, you come into the park, and the first thing as you come into the park is, you, is you're confronted with this. You know, and that's just the front half of the loop. There's four, three or four loops on the backside. And my son, my son and daughter are like, come on, Dad, let's go on this. So we got on the line, and I'm starting to walk through the line, getting there, and I see this big sign. This ride should not be ridden by anyone with a heart condition. I'm like, okay, I'm out, guys. I'll see you. I'm good. I'm good. You know, climbed back through, went back to Christina. I said, you know, they said nobody with a heart condition. She said, you don't have a heart condition. I said, well, I'm out here now. So, but... <laughs> So my kids rode and had a great time. We went on rides throughout the rest of the day, all throughout the park. And as we're leaving the park, um, the lines had gotten shorter. It's the end of the, you know, the, end of the evening. And uh, my kids said, come on, Dad, you've got to do this now. And my wife said, well, I don't care if your heart's, your heart's not a problem. You'll be fine. So, so um, I'm like, all right, we've got to go on this. And what I forgot to tell you is the last time I was on roller coasters was at Cedar Point um, about six years ago. And if you know anything about Cedar Point, there's really, really big roller coasters at Cedar Point. And uh, I got a really bad headache, and I got sick on the last coaster, and I just, so I'm like, oh no, this is going to happen again. I'm just dreading this whole thing happen again. The whole line, you know, weaving through, envisioning what's going to take place. And, and you get on this coaster, and one of the things about this coaster, you know when you're on a coaster and it's kind of climbing, it's creak, creak, you know, click, 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 click. Well, this coaster does something I've never had happen on another co- You click, 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 and then you get to the top, and then it goes down. Well, this coaster, you're click, 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 whoosh, and then it just... They just launch you out there. I don't know how they do it, but they just launch you out there. Anyways, after about the first two loops, I kind of got my bearing, and I figured out how to navigate through it, and I had a great time. But, um, you know, riding a roller coaster at, at Universal Studios, that's not much of a, much of a risk. But Barrick was being asked by God to go up against an army and a general who hadn't lost in 20 years. They were undermanned, they were under-resourced, and God said, will you do it? Will you do it? And um, in the book of Hebrews, it says this about Barak. Excuse me, let me find it there. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of who? Is that second guy? Barak. And so, was Barak maybe a little bit of a wimp the first time around? Kind of bailed? Yeah, I think you could probably put that in his bucket. But did he ultimately have the courage and the faith to do what God invited him to do? He absolutely did. He absolutely did. And he took the advice of a woman who is speaking for God into his life. I'm going to be real honest. Lots of women conversations with me and say, John, I know this is what God wants us to do. And I say it to my husband. And he won't listen. He won't listen. And for some of you sitting here listening this morning, you have a spouse that loves you, that loves God, that listens to God, and you're not listening to them. And you're missing an opportunity to take a step of faith and see God show up. Maybe it's not a spouse. 
Maybe it's a good friend who's been giving you a nudge. Maybe it's a small group leader that's been tapping you on the shoulder. Maybe it's a counselor that you're doing some work with. And there's someone in your life you're not sure if you can take that step. And, God, and they're saying, time to take that step. Time to take that step. And so Barak is another example of someone who God used because he was willing. The third one is a little unusual. The third one is the last woman in the story, and that's the woman Jael. Because the truth is, Jael was not an Israelite. She wasn't an Israelite. Her husband's family was in some form of alliance with the, with the Israelites' enemy, the Canaanites. She was on Sisera's side. In spite of this, something prompted her upon May to make him feel comfortable, to give him safety, and then to end his life. Did she somehow become a secret closet follower of Jesus or of God of the Israelites? We don't know. What prompted her to do this? I hope you come back next week because Tim's going to talk a little bit about that. But regardless of what prompted her, she was simply willing to do something that was incredibly risky. And what happened? God used it. God used it. I mean, think of the risk. Think of what her husband, her husband's, by the way, the, you know, you got a little mess to clean up in the other room, you know. It's our good buddy. He's in there with a peg in his head, you know. And I did it. You know, or the people that they made an alliance. You make an alliance for Ben, and now there's no longer, you know, that's bad news. I mean, this woman took incredible risk to do this, and then God used it. How crazy is that? How crazy is that? But some of you this morning, you might not be convinced about the God and the Jesus thing. You haven't figured it, you know, you're not all on board. And the reality is God still wants to use you if you're willing to do what's right when you know what's right in the moment. He's going to use it just like he did this woman in a remarkable way. The question for you to ask yourself is this, um, is am I willing to be used by God? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Am I willing to be used by God? Am I willing to be used by God in my home where things are difficult and hard and, and if, I, if I do what's right, it's going to create more conflict. It's going to make things messier. Am I willing to do what's right at work when to make an ethical choice might cost me an advance, might cost me my job, might cost me some prestige or to treat people that no one else in the room or in the company cares about and they might wonder what's my agenda in doing that. How about here at church? Maybe you've been coming, you've been um, enjoying the services, being part of the, uh, being here on a regular basis, maybe even part of a small group, and God's saying, it's time for you to use your gifts and use your abilities and serve and bless others. Time for you to take a step, not wait for someone else to do it if you'll do it, but time for you to take a step. And in the process, God just might use you to make a difference in someone's life. Or how about in our community? You know, Rod shared his story, and one of the things that I love about Rod and my relationship with him is, is just the steps of faith that God stirred up in his heart. And Wacey said, I want you to make a difference in this community, in a property that everybody thinks, how in the world could that place get turned around and be a place that offers hope when people come in with no hope? And so the question for you to ask yourself this morning is, am I willing to be used by God today. And if you are, if you are, I have overwhelming confidence that God's going to show up and he's going to do something in and through you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we close? God, this is a, just one in a series of crazy stories in the book of Judges. Um, one that is odd, bizarre. Um, seems like it could come out of the, the nightly news somewhere. But God, you chose to use 
three individuals in this story in very different ways. And Lord, you long to do that in each of our lives. You, you want to use us. You want to show up in our lives. You want to take our humble willingness to follow you. And you want to do something significant, indescribable, not anticipated, that leaves everyone stunned. God, that's what you want to do through us. And so, Father, I just pray that, um, I pray that our hearts would be willing. I pray that this question would ring in our minds all week long, am I willing to be used by God? Am I willing to be used by God? And if the answer to that question is yes, then to say, God, so how do you want to use me? How do you want to use me? And God, if that answer is no, we're struggling with it, if we're being honest, and say, God, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Lord, no matter what our answer is, you're going to call us to take steps that we can't do on our own. We desperately need you. In your name I pray. Amen. Angie? If you would like to continue the conversation of this message, John will be in the lobby and Johnny would be up front and they will be happy to talk with you about whatever is on your heart. Please take a moment and fill out your connection cards. If you haven't already done so, the ushers will be coming in just a moment to collect those from you. Acts 22.16 says, And now, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Baptism is a way to publicly share your devotion to Jesus Christ. And we are going to be having baptism here in the sanctuary on July 23rd. You can find more information for that online as well as the application. Uh, John or Johnny will also be able to answer any questions you may have about that process. July 16th, we are having an all-church picnic that's going to be held at Adamstown Grove with a pool party following at Adamstown Pool. That is for everyone, whether you're a member or a regular attendee or if this is your first time, you are welcome to come to our picnic. So that means you can turn to the person right beside you and say, you're invited because you are all invited to that picnic. So we welcome you and want you to come. If you are a first-time attendee uh, here today, we have a special gift for you as well. Out under our welcome sign, you can pick up a free gift. We thank you for coming. I thank all of you for being here with us, and we look forward to worshiping with you next week. Have a great week.